the sun. My slides this morning are not real fancy slides. They basically are just going to give the text. But uh, we are going to look at a sermon that deals with enough is enough. You might say, what in the world is that? Well, when we look at the grace of God, we realize that God is way more patient than you are and me. God is way more loving than I will ever be or you will be. He is much more merciful than you will ever be than I will ever be. He is more long-suffering than any of us can even imagine. But there is a time when God says, enough's enough. In the case of Pharaoh that we're going to look at today, he says, enough's enough. I have given you nine chances. I have given you nine opportunities to obey me, to do my will, to allow the people of Israel to go out of captivity, the exodus. I've given you nine opportunities, and you've refused. Enough's enough. There is no more, there are no more chances for you to repent. The end is there. In fact, is as we go through, we're going to see that the people of Egypt are more reasonable than Pharaoh is. The people actually have a favor and graciousness and mercy toward the Hebrews. Pharaoh does not. And so it's the leader. In fact, we'll see that even those that are his servants don't even agree with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's kind of out on a limb doing his own thing. And so if you believe that you can presume on the grace of God and get away with it forever, you're wrong. If you can assume that because God hasn't instantly judged you in the past for some wrong or some bad attitude or some whatever it is, that God is going to just overlook and not deal with you. Those are just bad assumptions. They're not even reasonable because we know God is all those loving, merciful, gracious, and kind things. But we also know that God must judge sin. And God also put into practice a principle from the very beginning that says what we sow is what we reap. There is a principle that God does not violate. And in this case, Pharaoh had dodged the bullet nine times. He had said, okay, you can go. Well, then he said, you can't go. And, and God judged him, but not the ultimate judgment. And the children of Israel didn't leave. But God is not going to be thwarted in his purpose. God is above and beyond Pharaoh or anything else. We're going to find out that God is even sovereign above dogs. Uh, you go, hold it a second. That's not in the Bible. Oh, just keep listening and you'll find out that that is actually true. A lot of times we think if we did something and we didn't instantly get judged for it, we knew it was wrong, but we did it anyway. But God didn't lower the boom and, and hold us accountable that well, I got away with it. You know what? I can keep doing it. 
It's one of those things that ultimately gets us in trouble because we assume that because God is long-suffering and patient with us, giving us opportunity to change our mind, that He is just overlooking the things that we do wrong. And that is simply not true. But He doesn't always do it instantly because He gives us the opportunity to repent and get it right on our own. With that, is, and I have one other thing about the background that you may want to consider, is that the last time, and some of you weren't here, and it's four months ago, so I have no problem going back and repeating a couple of verses from the chapter before this, because at the end of chapter 10, it says this, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, beware Do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Pharaoh is mad as can be at Moses and Aaron. He says, get out of here. And then Moses, the very last verse in chapter 10, Moses said, you're right. I shall never see your face again. Now, you might have read ahead, and I encourage people to do that. But in in chapter 12, Moses is called back by Pharaoh. And you go, see, hey, there's a contradiction there. But it doesn't make it clear that he saw Pharaoh's face. He is just called to account. How it all happened, it doesn't actually tell us. So we have to be very careful. It doesn't say he was back in Pharaoh's throne room again. But uh, he does get called back. But it it doesn't make it clear that he saw his face directly again. So I believe the circumstances were different this time. I just wanted to point that out because some people get hung up on what they think is a discrepancy. I do not believe that is a discrepancy. Now we're in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. And there it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, and you'll notice, God is speaking directly to Moses one more time, and this is to Moses only. One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. So God comes back and he says to Moses, here's what's going to happen. All the plagues that I brought so far have been against Egypt, kind of general. And we know that there were some differentiations. Uh, In some cases, it did not affect the Hebrews. In other cases, it did. But in some cases, it didn't. But in this case, he mentions Pharaoh directly. Now, I'll look at that in detail as we go along. But this plague is going to put the finger right on the guy who is the hard-hearted one. Remember, he, he hardened his heart, and God is going to give him his desires. But he says, in this case, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, and I'm going to harden it. But in the end, Pharaoh is going to do a flip-flop. He will let you go, but it's not just, okay, if you want to leave, you can leave. He's going to literally drive you out. Then he's going to flip-flop again after he drives them out and going to try to go bring them back again. We didn't get there yet. That's future. But Pharaoh is one of those people, like lots of us and lots of people in the world, we kind of flip and flop whichever way the wind is blowing, whatever seems good for us at that time. That was Pharaoh. And notice he says there, and he adds one word there at the end of the verse. He says, he will drive you out from here completely. 
He is just going to get rid of you totally. Everything out of there. Maybe this is too gross for a sermon illustration, but if you're sick on the stomach, some things in your stomach are out completely. You know, I, and the only reason it's in my mind is because uh, Pastor Peter and Stephanie, have, their youngest son has some kind of allergy or whatever. And when he throws up, he throws up. And it's pretty violent and pretty, he calls it a projectile or something like that. I mean, it's really bad. Uh, and it goes everywhere. Well, that's what Pharaoh is going to do to the Hebrew people. He is wanting them out and he wants them out completely. They have just caused him enough of a stomachache. But then he goes on to give Moses instructions for the Hebrew people. This is where I want to concentrate. So you're going to understand the, the part I'm going to concentrate in this sermon is found here. It says in verse 2, Now speak in the hearing of the people, this is the Hebrews, that each man ask his neighbor and each woman ask her neighbor for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That's what I want to look at. Our responsibility in this life is that our reputation is above reproach. Our character, our integrity is way above the norm. Notice, the people will have favor with the Egyptians, not with Pharaoh, not with Pharaoh, but with the Egyptians. They know that it's because of the Hebrew people's enslavement that these plagues have come, and yet they still have a good reputation. They still have favor among the people to the point that they are going to give them some of their most prized and valuable possessions on their way out. Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 21, when God first started talking about the people going out, He said this in Exodus 3, 21. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go out, you will not go out empty-handed. But every woman will ask her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. That's a word that you would use if you went out into battle and you defeated your enemy and you just went through their cities and, and their belongings and took whatever you wanted. Well, that would be by force. But in this case, the people are doing it voluntarily. Why? Because they're looking at the Hebrew people. I don't know what their mindset is, so it doesn't tell us that. All we know is that they were voluntarily willing to give their possessions, silver and gold and clothing. And you go, why? Because they just wanted to make them rich. We know what happened later, because later in the desert, desert by its very definition is a place that does not sustain life without outside um, input. And so in the desert, they are making the tabernacle, which has lots and lots of gold, lots and lots of silver, and lots of coverings. Where did it come from? They didn't get it in the desert. It came because the people of Egypt saw the Hebrew people and willingly gave them. 
They gave so much that it was almost like plundering them. Now, they didn't hold a gun to somebody's hand and say, give me your gold and silver. That's not what this says. But it was kind of almost like that, except without the force. They gave up a lot. We don't know exactly how much, but when we get later in the book of Exodus, you're going to find out how much gold and silver they actually had and how much cloth they needed to make the tabernacle. It was a considerable amount. And so um, it, it goes on to say that the Lord gave the people, that is the Hebrews, favor. Why? They had a good reputation. Why should that astound us? Well, it's because of them that the plagues had come. Their enslaved Pharaoh is being nasty to them, like nobody's business. But yet, the people of Egypt didn't despise them. Under a hard situation, their reputation remained a good one. Your reputation doesn't mean a whole lot if everything is going well. Do you ever notice that? It's like love. Anybody can love when everything's going great. But how do you love when somebody is nasty to you? Because the Bible is clear. It's not you love when somebody loves you. You love when they don't love you. Well, in this case, the Hebrew people obviously had character and a reputation and integrity that was above and beyond the circumstances. Now, they didn't live in COVID-19, but I got to tell you that even under our circumstances, what is your reputation? What is your integrity like? What is your character like? Are you living differently above the circumstances? I believe the Hebrew people were, and it gave favor. And I know it, it's very clear here. God was working here too. So don't get me wrong. He was still working, but he wasn't saying, oh, well, the children of Israel have a lousy reputation, but we're going to give favor anyway. That's not what's indicated here at all. But they absolutely were living above the circumstances. Remember, they're slaves, they have suffered also, but the Egyptian people have suffered, and yet they don't hold it against the Hebrew people. They're still willing to give an abundance of things to them on their way out. But here's the one that really astounds me and goes beyond that. It's the middle of verse 3. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. That's the Egyptian people. Notice there's one person missing in that description. It's Pharaoh. Pharaoh got a mind of his own. He is bucking against God. Why is he doing that? We're going to see here in a minute. He believes he is God. There's a other God that he is not going to capitulate to. I am not going to do what this other God says. I am God. I'm the one that makes these decisions. But the people didn't see it that way. I'm not going to tell you they were believers in Jehovah. I'm not going to tell you that at all. It doesn't, it doesn't indicate that. But Moses, even though he was the spokesman, he is the one that declared that God was bringing these horrible plagues on the people, they don't hold it against him. He is... Seen with great esteem. It really means that they just saw him as a great person. 
And notice, it's not just the common people that didn't hold it against Moses. That would be the second part. But the first part is in the sight of Pharaoh's servants. Here are his people that serve him, advise him, whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't tell you what their position was, but they're the servants of Pharaoh. So these would be people that were close to Pharaoh. They looked at Moses and didn't blame Moses either. I want to know for me. I want to know, no matter what the circumstances are, do I have a reputation with the people around me? Not, oh, I might have a good reputation with most of you. I kind of guess I do to some extent. But you know what? That's kind of to be expected. You all come to Garden Chapel, you know, or you're visiting with us or whatever. Uh, but you're here and there, there's a certain reputation or character and you go, you don't, you're not going, that, that Pastor Paul, he, he's, a, he's a shyster, so we're, and, but we're going to show up anyway. People just don't do those kinds of things. So we would expect that among ourselves, right? But the reputation is on the outside. Think about this way. In the New Testament, referring to the elders of a local church, it starts the qualifications for an elder with blameless and ends with a good reputation with those on the outside. (laughs) And everything else is in between that. Blameless. I have a personal definition for blameless, not a biblical or Greek definition, but it's a Teflon Christian. You see, anything can be thrown against you. False accusations. I've been called a liar and deceitful and all kinds of stuff over the years. You know what? If it stuck, I wouldn't even be here. You guys would have thrown me out a long time ago. But if it, if it doesn't stick, anybody can say anything about anybody else. You need to know, does it stick or doesn't it stick? Teflon. And on the outside, it would be people come in and say, you know, that Pastor Paul, you know, he doesn't pay his bills at the local store or whatever else. You know, you'd be like, hold it a second. This is not the guy we want to be the pastor or a leader in any spiritual way. So uh, a reputation is something that's valuable. Peter was talking about possessions. Every possession you have, Somebody can take away from you. Yeah. They can take away your friends. They can lie about you and you can lose friends. They can make up false stories about you and you lose a lot of things. But you know what? The one thing that nobody can take away from you is your character, your integrity, and your credibility. No one can take that from you. They can try to besmirch it. They can try to tarnish it. But only you can give away that integrity. Only you can give away your character by the choices you make. I have a follow-up for the uh, illustration I used last week about the gentleman that I had to disqualify who gave me an earful. um, And uh, I thought it was over. I went to a tractor pull yesterday, two hours from here. Very small, very small one. I drive on the property, and you're not going to guess who the first person I saw. <laughs> I had my truck window down, and I said, and I'm not going to say his name. I was like, hey, good morning, and I used his name. He looked at me with the blankest stare I've seen in a long time. 
Because the last time we had seen each other, he had just reamed me out and told me what a, you know, well, anyway, I'm never coming back and all that other stuff I told you. You know what the neat thing was? By the end of the day, by the way, he was, it was a very small poll. He was the main competition for me in the classes I was in. By the end of the day, him and I were actually working together. Now, the thing is, and, and Dave Lamb uh, told me last week after it was over, he said, you know, our ministry is not five minutes of a devotional or a gospel presentation and a word of prayer at the beginning. It's our whole character. It's the whole way we do things at Garden Chapel that should be different. And Dave goes, uh, he, says, he says, I just walked away because I didn't know what to do. He says, but you didn't curse him back. You didn't yell at him. You didn't stomp your feet and kick dirt on him. You know, it was the difference that you approached it. And you know what? I, I, it doesn't always work this way. So, folks, if you think I always do it right, uh, X that one out real quick. But in this case, I can look at it and say, you know what? I could look this guy square in the eye with no twinge of bad conscience, and by the end of the day, we were actually talking and interacting like we would with anybody else that would be at a poll. Praise the Lord. You know what? That's what God wants for us and from us. A reputation that they can try to tarnish. And reputation is what other people think. They can, have, they can actually say, well, that guy has a bad reputation. But if they can't back it up, it doesn't work. What is your character? What is your integrity? Who are you? The children of Israel, the Hebrews, in slavery, in hard times, still had favor with the people. Even those in government, Pharaoh's servants. Not with everybody, not with Pharaoh. Okay, I need to move on or I won't get done on time. So let's move on. And so... Um, there is a final words for Pharaoh. <clears throat> Moses said, I am going into the, uh, I'm sorry. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I'm going into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits at the throne, and even to the firstborn of the slave girl who works the millstone. Now, understand Pharaoh believed that he was a son of God. If you believe the incarnation, God becoming flesh, is a new idea or a new concept that only came with Jesus Christ, you would be wrong. Even in Egypt, they believed the Pharaoh was an incarnation, God in the flesh. They believed that. They believed he was the highest God above all the rest of the gods. He was the son of God. It's not a new concept, except that Jesus Christ is genuine, true, and real. All the other ones had the same despicable character in sinfulness and, and uh, just all the bad stuff that any other normal human being would have. Jesus Christ is different than that simply because his life, I mean, his words were backed up with his life. Theirs were not. They're, they were as sinful as everybody else. In fact, is in a lot of cases, like Pharaoh, even more sinful because he was willing to enslave a people and to hold them in bondage. And so, remember, 
when this last plague comes, guess who is affected? The next god of Egypt. He's going to be the next king. Now, you can look this up, and, and I'm not, I won't argue with anybody. I believe this is the guy that was the pharaoh uh, during the Exodus. I wish Moses would have given us the pharaoh's name. He did not. So uh, I've looked this up, and I've researched this for a long time, and there's at least five or six pharaohs that could have been. All depends who you are and what you believe. But anyway, this is the one I came up with, um, and there's one main reason I did. Because the pharaoh's firstborn son would be the next pharaoh. Well, this guy, firstborn son, wasn't the next pharaoh. It was his secondborn son that was the next pharaoh. Why? Because his firstborn, God in the making, is dead after this is all over. And so uh, you're going to see that this came directly into the family of Pharaoh and affected him more than anyone else. But he says, oh, it's not just Pharaoh's son that's going to die. It's going to be the lowest maiden who in a household... And uh, ladies, you'll be glad to know that you don't live back then. But every morning, someone, usually a slave girl or a maid of some sort, would take and grind grain so you could get your toast for breakfast and your sandwich for lunch or whatever else. You'd do that every day. He says, it doesn't matter if you're the lowest of the low on the totem pole, uh, your firstborn is going to die. Then he goes on to say, and that's true of the cattle also. Remember, their economy was wrecked. If you think our economy is bad now, and it is in some ways, uh, nothing compared to this. Remember all the plagues? Every one of them messed with their economy big time. And now he's saying even the cattle that are left, the firstborn of all the cattle are going to die also. Why is he going to do that? Because he is saying, enough's enough. I've had it. You won't listen? Here's what's going to happen. And then he goes on to say, moreover, there's going to be a cry. This is verse 6. In all of the land of Egypt, such as had never been before and never shall be again. He says, this is the big one. And then he says, remember I told you that God is sovereign over dogs? What has God given us in this world to get your attention? The cry of a baby. Who in the world can ignore the cry of a baby? Boy, that can just grit you the wrong way. Now, if a baby cries, you say they need attention, they need fed, changed, or whatever else. But if a baby keeps crying and crying and crying and crying, you go, ah, you you, want to kind of go crazy, right? What about a barking dog? Now, a lot of people have a dog because, hey, if somebody approaches the house, some strange something happens, the dog barks, right? A good thing. But if a dog keeps barking, that's when 911 gets called. <laughs> and, hey, my neighbor's dog won't quit barking. You, you know, because God has given us some of these things that get your attention. Well, when they leave, not even... By the way, did I miss yours? My wife's is the sound of a garden tractor puller with no muffler on. That irritates her about as much as anything will ever irritate. Some of you might be the finger, you know, the finger of nails on the chalkboard. Maybe people don't even know that one anymore. But the point is, you have something that irritates, some sound or whatever. Well, 
when they leave in the middle of the night, the dogs don't bark. And the Egyptians definitely had dogs and they had cats. They had them for particular reasons. I don't have time to go into that. But the point is, verse 7, but against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. That is against the inclination and the nature of a dog. Dogs bark because they're dogs. They bark because some disturbance is happening of some sort. Something not normal is going on. They bark. They can drive you crazy, but it warns you something's going on. He says here, not even a dog is going to bark. And uh, the, the whole thing is, God says, I'm going to make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. I'm going to be the one that I superintend even over the barking of a dog. I am going that far. One of the principles that you find in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God says that when we have a good reputation, when we have good character, integrity, honesty, and all of those other things, God rewards that. In fact, is one of the things that we know the whole way through the Bible is a principle. What a man sows is that's what he reaps. What we have. If you sow to integrity and credibility and all those great things, blamelessness, good reputation, God rewards that. In this case, he is rewarding the Hebrew people. Not only do they leave with abundance of wealth, but they they are able to leave without a dog barking. How in the world do you do that? Only God can do those kinds of things. And he says he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Remember, the only enemy that is not at peace with the Hebrew people at this point is Pharaoh. All the other people give favor to them. They're gracious to them. They're merciful to them. I'm thinking in some ways they pity them, which is another word for mercy. They're saying, hey, this isn't right. And they really have no problem with them leaving. And so he said, and Moses goes on to say, you know what? Your servants, Pharaoh, your servants are going to come and bow themselves uh, before me saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot, intense anger. Some of this is a reflection back for when he was in uh, Pharaoh's presence. But he is just making it very clear here. These people had a good reputation. And then it ends with this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in Egypt. That's already been happening. He has one more to add to that, number 10, which is going to be the death of the firstborn. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he didn't let the sons of Israel go. Notice, it was only Pharaoh, it wasn't the people. The people had no problem with them leaving. In fact is, they gave them gifts as they were on their way out. I don't know all their motivation. Maybe it was like good riddance, we want to get rid of you. But that's not what it really says. It says they found favor. They wanted to do good to them. I challenge you. I don't care what your circumstances are. 
You may have the nastiest work situation in the world, but what's your reputation? That's where it is. It can be your neighborhood. It can be your family. I don't care where it is. What do people see when they see you? Do they see somebody that goes right along with the crowd and does all the wrong stuff and could care less? Uh, somebody that treats other people badly? Is that what they see? Or it's tit for tat, you know, uh, you, you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. You lie to me, I'm going to lie back. You deceive me, I'm going to lie back. I, uh, somebody didn't pay me, I'm not going to pay you. Or do they see somebody that their word is their bond? They don't have to swear on a stack of Bibles. They don't have to do any of those things. It's just you do what's right because it's right. It is the right thing to do. That's what I believe we need to take this morning. So what's my reputation, my credibility, my character? No matter what the circumstances, you do not need to like the circumstances. No Israeli said, oh, it's wonderful being a slave and being in bondage to the Egyptians. Nobody said that. There's no indication whatsoever in the Bible that they were like, oh, this is wonderful. Later on, they're going to say, oh, we had it good back then. But they weren't saying that now. I challenge you, no matter how hard the situation, and our situation right now in this country, in the world, it's not a good one. But what is my reputation? What is my character? What is my integrity? That's who I need to be. I need to live above the circumstances. Because God honors that. In this case, God honored the children of Israel by giving favor toward them from the Egyptian people. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, I... I think I probably overemphasized what I wanted to emphasize. But Lord, I'm, I'm looking at what I've just said and, and I believe it's the right thing to say because it's so easy to go down to the lowest common denominator. And I pray that we would not do that. Whether it's COVID-19 or any other situation that's in our life. Could be a marriage, could be a family, could be a, a job. It, it doesn't matter. Lord, I pray that we would have a life that others could throw stuff at us, but nothing will stick. That our integrity would be above fault. And that we would be sowing to the blessings that you want in our lives instead of being a part of the problem. Lord, I pray that you would make me a light in a dark world. A candle never shines brighter than when it's in a totally dark room. And I pray that's what we would be in everything that we do. We thank you for reminding us of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go with God, and be of good character.